everybody. Welcome to another episode of All of WrestleMania is a Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm Rich Sigwald. We're excited to be back in the studio with you. We hope you uh, caught our recent episodes. We had a fun chat with the uh, director of operations for VCW, Jerry Stefanitsis. That was, that was a good time. He was he a good Rich, sport. Yeah, he and Rich <laughs> got into some verbal fist cuffs. Uh, that was, so that was a good one. Check it out if you haven't uh, had a chance. And uh, let's see, what else? We talked to uh, Dr. Mark Willett about some academic stuff as it relates to pro wrestling. Um, he had some good things to say. He said we made him sound interesting to his kids, so he appreciated that um and he's a nice dude and uh what else we talked about another show in between um but now i'm blanking on what it was yeah well you know we've it was been, an awa it was an AWA yeah show? The super clash we watched super yeah. clash and then had mark and then and then uh uh the director of operations on so it's been a while since we watched something and talked wrestling and so i'm I'm jonesing to get in to, <laughs> to talk some wrestling, man. It's been a while, and but it was a nice little break too. At the same time, yeah, to, it's been a uh, busy. It's been a, been a busy couple of months. Like I feel like we've been, um, I don't know, we've had had much more scheduled than we usually do. So it's it's yeah. been cool. So, yeah, anyway. summer break. Uh huh. Sure. Uh huh. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> well, if you uh, if you haven't, you know, all the WrestleManias dot com, uh, WrestleMania Pod on on Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram and all the other socials, you can find us. Check us out YouTube. We've dropped some videos lately, so you can see our lovely faces. Uh, we also experimented with some live streaming, so we're we you know we're out there. We're joining the twenty first century. It's we're going to replace ourselves with AI real soon. I yeah. can't wait for that. <laughs> I know, nice and easy. I'm tired of uh, staying up and recording. I'm just going to hit the button. I might also just be chat GPT already at this point. I don't know. <laughs> just making shit up. Does anybody know for sure? No, probably not. Yeah. Anyway, well, yeah, so as Rich said, we are excited to talk some old school wrestling with you this time. Uh, this is actually from the WWF Old School Series, which if you have the Peacock, you can find they have lots of great treasures uh, going back many decades on there. And so we are digging into Season 8, Episode 1 from December 17th, 1979, from Madison Square Garden, of course, in New York. Um, and we'll get into a little bit of why we picked this particular show, uh, kind of continuing a series, um, but... Rich, you uh, identified this one. So, is there something else that you, you know, really called out to you about this one that you wanted to highlight? Um, well, there's some there's some really interesting things here. First, the big the what was the big thing that drew me in was that this is the WWF still being run by uh, Vincent James McMahon, uh, Vince, uh, the current Vince McMahon's father. So, it's uh he's 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 Vince. Current Vince still has a lot of lot of, has developed a lot of sway in the company at this point, but he's not calling the shots. He's not the final final say in things, and it's obvious. It's a little bit different style of show. The show looks a little different. It sounds a little different. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. But also, the WWF is still a territory for this show too and has rejoined the nwa if you listen to our our quick throw together episode on the history of the wwf around the time that it was sold um you remember that we talked about the wwf um leaving uh the nwa in the late 60s uh but um once um uh, Mont uh, left. I can't remember his first name, but his last name Toots. is Mont. Toots Mont left. Um, 
Vince uh, Sr. secretly, quietly said, hey, NWA, we'll, we'll be part of you again. Um, and it's, it makes for a very interesting show uh, because um, the one thing that drew me in was, was that on this card you have uh, Harley Race versus Dusty Rhodes for the NWA World Championship happening at Madison Square Garden. Those aren't, that's a, that's a Greensboro Coliseum. That's mm-hmm. a Norfolk scope, uh, yeah. match. That's not a, a Madison square garden match. Um, and the yeah. other big draw to this card is that it's Hulk Hogan's, uh, Madison square garden debut. He's been in the WWF for one month at this point. <laughs> he is very wet behind the ears. Yeah, but very ready to go. Um, so that's that's really exciting. And um, yeah, and I don't know if you want to. We can just talk about some of the history of this show too now, if you want. Just because uh, I'm on a roll here. That I mentioned that the WWF is a territory at this point, and mm-hmm. uh, Vince Vincent James McMahon has no desires to take it coast to coast. And, um, does not want to put the other territories out. He's liking the way business works. He likes how his product looks and he likes working with the NWA because, you know, you get, you get the world champion stopping by every once in a while for things. Um, well, and you get that, uh, you get that talent that's so incredibly over in, in certain parts of the, uh, country, you know? Right. And, uh, you can also have a wonderful partnership with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling at this time is also considered a territory of the NWA. And they are partnered up with the WWA, the World Wrestling Association, I think is what it stood for. But that's basically the West Coast, California, Southern California territory. Uh, and because of that, we see some fun names on this card come rolling through as well. Uh, the WWF has a special relationship at, with the, with new Japan at this point. Um, but because, you know, there aren't historians documenting everything that happens in the wrestling business, just who wins and loses matches, what the terms of that seem to be pretty lost. I did some extensive digging to try and find like, well, how did that come to be? What's going on here? And the only thing I can find is that, well, they're both NWA members. Mm. So, but you see some familiar names on this card, uh, because of that partnership, because, uh, bad news, Allen, bad news, Brown, however you want to want to remember him, um, was actually working with the WWA at this time. And this is just a brief little, like they lent him to the WWF for this show. Same with Jojo Andrews. Um, there's, uh, some other folks that are better known, uh, in some of the other territories like Antonio Inoki is on this card. Like this card has some really, really fun names. Fujinami, uh, he, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami is a very interesting guy. He basically, is like the godfather of like the cruiserweights. Um, yeah, he's really good too. He yeah. Was, I was excited about that guy. Yeah. And, um, 
the uh, so he he he's the junior heavyweight championship at this point, which is actually a joint championship between WWF and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And mm-hmm. uh, Fujinami basically takes the belt back with him and just develops a whole thing in Japan, and it becomes basically a Japanese title. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really cool things on here. Um, the other fun, fun thing is that that tag match with Jojo Andrews and Bad News Code versus, uh, Seiji Sakaguchi and Chosu Riki. Um, so I initially was like, is, is it's, it's like the West Coast or North American tag championships or something mm-hmm. like that. Or they call it like the West Coast Championship. And I'm like, is this a fake title? <laughs> is this another, we, like, I'm now super paranoid. The, yeah. The AWA well, show was full of fake titles that were made up just for the, just for that particular event. And that was a lot of fun. Right. So this is the, the NWA North American uh, Tag Championship, the LA slash Japan version. So it's the, it's the uh, NWA's like West Coast North American Tag Championship. And, uh, this actually becomes the IWGP Tag Team Championship at one point. And so like the lineage is actually based off of that. Hmm. And the first winners of that title were Johnny Powers and Pat Patterson. So hmm. it, I thought that was interesting. And so the IWGP, so this is, this is the rabbit hole that today went down. I was like, well, I keep hearing this IWGP thing. And so the IWGP is something that Antonio uh, Inoki made up the international wrestling grand prix. So he makes it a, he makes a new governing body and ditches the NWA for new Japan. So, that starts a whole thing and that ends up being the the main carrier of uh wrestling. So I think you've you've heard of the G1 Climax tournament, mm-hmm. right, in Japan. Yeah. So uh that actually dates back to like the 50s and the IWGP took it over in 1983. And I'll hit you some trivia here. Okay. Who do you think won that first 1983 IWGP league, as at that time it was called, that eventually became the G1 Climax? Let's see. First, 1983. Hmm. I don't know. Was it Flair? Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Well, that would have been my second guess, probably. He beat Antonio Inoki, who had won it like seven times already at that point. So I believe that's actually the match that's like viral right now that like we should watch this Hulk Hogan match from Japan and see how he really works kind of thing that's been going around. Yeah. And I think it's actually the finals of the of the IWGP league of him versus Antonio Inoki. Yeah, we should check that out. It's like a there's definitely a sort of a, a bit of a this is early, right? So like there's not we're not changing the guard here just yet. But it's like it's definitely a couple of different worlds colliding, and you can see it with the the Japanese talent all over this card. You can see it with, like you said, these NWA titles, and you know Dusty Rhodes and uh, Hulk Hogan on the same card is kind of bonkers. Um, and so the yeah, I thought this was this was an interesting show because it does it feels like well it feels like what it was, which is like three different promotions kind of stuffing a a card together, all sort of under a loose umbrella uh that's kind of like not particularly well 
uh, integrated at the at this point in time. So um, Vince McMahon is also on commentary for this one. So that's kind of that one is pointing in a you know sort of future direction. It's his dad's program, but he's on the uh, on the mic doing his typical Vince McMahon. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, not, he's, a, he's, he's not. He's a little tamer. He is. He's not quite as obnoxious just yet. Um, but some of the same ticks are that one, two, got him, no. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. And oh my. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, th- yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And so one of the things that I'd come across recently uh, was very evident. And, and so we've been talking about all the people on this on this card and it's a very diverse card so we have a black tag team we have lots of japanese wrestlers we have hispanics you know we we've got everybody under the sun on on here we got we got a uh, a persian we have you know like everybody yeah. we got southerners we got we have a we have a a known homosexual on the card <laughs> like it's a very it's very diverse this mm-hmm. This is a woke card, you could say, almost. <laughs> so, and that is because uh, Vince McMahon Sr. was very open-minded with that kind of stuff, considering with the fact that it put butts in seats in Madison Square Garden because it drew the the multiculturalism of New York City into Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden. Now, supposedly, his son, Vince, did not like that so much as... Uh, he wanted to get more white people to come to the shows because the white people had money. Interesting. And so supposedly once Vince, uh, Vincent Kennedy took over the, the, the reins, he basically got rid of that diversity, put more white people on the card to get more white people to come to Madison square garden for the shows. And if you look at the roster compared, you take this show and then you look at a show in like 1984. Yeah. 1985 the only black guy on the card is junkyard dog and he's, he's kind of kind a, of winding down at that point and he's kind of buried <clears throat> yeah you know um and i don't know do we get a champion until who was it ahmed johnson was uh, who was the the next uh we we did an episode like an, about this it's like an um, intercontinental champion yeah yeah um and then the rock after that like there's not anybody in the middle um it's kind of yeah. crazy so, and supposedly it's because he won the draw in that white audience to yeah. to get them in, get their money. Hmm. I mean, New York City is a pretty diverse place, Vince. Like, <laughs> there's lots of people with money to spend. Yeah, yeah, but he wants that downtown Manhattan money, not the yeah. not the Harlem money, not the I guess upper upper East Side Spanish Harlem money or or the Brooklyn money. You know, he wants, he wants that yeah. lower Manhattan 34th street, <laughs> you know, spends the same man spends the same. Um, well, so yeah, so it was interesting stuff and we'll talk about some more as we go along. Are you ready to actually get to the card? Do you have anything else you want to check in about here first? No, I think, I think that's it. I, I love the show, honestly, just because it's, time. it's so different. Yeah. You know, I was excited about it, so. It definitely feels it definitely feels sort of unique and kind of 
its own thing. Uh, so first up is Larry Zabisco, very well-known name. We've seen him on some AWA shows, uh, seen him with a ninja. Uh, we like that guy. And I, it, it occurred to me we need to watch more Larry Zabisco matches after we did. But anyway, he's wrestling Dick the Bulldog Brower, um, who is an absolute unit. He's a uh, power lifter, former U.S. Marine. Uh, just, just a He's short, but he's like... Very broad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and these two kind of have a very um, sort of non-technical punching each other in the head kind of match with some headbutts and some headlocks. And um, the thing that, that drew me nuts with this one is there's somebody with or multiple people with like whistles in the crowd and it is going through the entire fucking thing. It like sounded like a soccer stop. game. It was so obnoxious. Um, <laughs> but they beat each other up pretty good. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, this was a this was a hard hitting match, a good opener match, you know, good good crowd warm up because it gets it gets a young young guy out there. We can play the age game if you want. How old do you think Dick the Bulldog Brower is at this point? Oh man, um, he didn't live all that long. He died in I, I looked up. He died at like at age sixty three. Um, so I'm gonna say. He's trying to picture his head, his his head, his face <laughs> in my mind. Um, I'm gonna say he was about fifth, nah, late forties. Yeah, that's pretty good. Forty-seven. He's forty-seven, 47. year wrestling twenty-eight-year-old Larry Zabisco. Man, <laughs> yeah, and Larry's a stud. Like Larry is, yeah. is clearly a stud. Uh, he gets the win in about four minutes. Um, yeah, Brower tries to. Uh, Brown tries to pick him up for a body slam, and and Larry Zabisco just falls on top of him and gets the pin. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, this was this was my first instance of not liking Vince McMahon on the mic. Uh, yeah. He says that the ref was in perfect position, but he misses that Dick's foot is on the rope at the finish for the pin. Uh, so I don't think the ref was in a perfect position. <laughs> just my opinion. Um, but yeah, there's lots of whistles and harmonicas too. People are blowing on harmonicas. Really what the loudly. hell is going on? Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> like it, it sounded like a like a like a South American soccer game. That's <laughs> that's 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 the most I can describe. And so it's Madison Square Garden. It's a hot crowd, and they brought noisemakers. I'm pretty certain someone had an air horn too. And like free uh, free no- free noisemaker night at the garden. Yeah, awful. Uh, anyway, but yeah, fun match. Fairly violent, two just big old dudes wailing on each other. The next one is uh, Ricky Choshu and Seiji Sakaguchi versus Bad News Alan Coage. Is it Coage? Is that? I think that it, yeah, I think that's how you say Coage and Jojo Andrews. Um, you know, of course, Bad News Alan we've, we've talked about before. Um, like super uh, guy with a just he had a long long career working in the territories he's he's an old school guy he's a badass he's a an olympic uh judo champion he was the first black medalist in um in judo in the olympics he won a silver medal actually i forget which games um i think 76 i think i saw yeah but he was like a legit badass and there's a lot of stories um i feel like piper traveled with him a lot does that does that ring a bell yeah, and um, Bret Hart, young, young Bret Hart. He, because yeah. uh, Bad News worked a lot out of uh, out of Calgary with Stampede Wrestling too. Yeah, and then he came back to the WWF then a little later in the eighties, and he was Bad News Brown uh, for a little bit. So I remember him from that run, and I yeah. remember he always wore that 
black glove on his right hand. Here he has sort of a like a Michael Jackson like white glove on his right hand. Yeah, um, it's kind of part of his gimmick. And he won't let the ref check it. The ref wants to check his no. glove to make sure it's loaded. And he ain't having it. Yeah, they're working heavy heel, big time heel. They're very yeah. bad guys, and part of that I can't help but the thing is because they're black. Yeah, they're the bad guys because they're black. Uh, so it's worse to be black than Japanese. Um, Apparently. They announced that this match uh, is for the Japanese Tag Team Championship. And that's when I was like, this has got to be, that's got to be a fake. There's no way there was a WWF <laughs> Japanese Tag Team Champion. But, but no, this is actually an NWA North American Tag Championships out of LA in Japan. Mm-hmm. So uh, we already talked, I already talked about the bit of the history of that. So. And, uh, it's also, um, the, the current tag team championship, it's the North American tag team championship for new Japan pro wrestling at the time too. Mm. So complicated. Yeah. We're all over the place on this. This is (laughs) WWF as a territory is super complicated. And I kind of get why, uh, Vincent Kennedy was like, oh, enough of this bullshit. There's cable coming. I'm going to get, I'm going to get us a cable deal and I'm going to shut everybody down because this is too damn confusing. Everybody will work for me. This <laughs> we'll just do it, you know? So, yeah. Um, they, uh, they go right to the heel tactics. Uh, bad news is, uh, is, is gouging the eyes and, and biting. And, uh, yeah. um, Jojo is large. That guy's very, uh, his, uh, his real name, I looked him up. I was sort of interested. His real name is Jimmy Lee Banks. He later went by the name Casavubu and yeah. Sugar Bear Brown. Um, like he went back in Sugar Bear Brown. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's a great yeah. name. So he kind of went back and forth between the WWF, uh, Stampede Wrestling and WWF kind of just back and forth over a, a relatively short career. He died in 82 of complications from, um, kidney disease and diabetes he's only 26 when he died so he's just he's just uh what is that three years so he's like 23 here yeah so and uh kind of sad story yeah bad news how old do you think bad news is here oh man i don't know he just he's just one of those dudes who like looks like he's always been like 45 like he looked like that when he came out of the womb (laughs) yeah so Um, he's, he's 36 here 36 okay yeah and the the Japanese guys are uh, so Seiji is thirty six and Chosu is twenty eight. So, wow, some guys in their prime and a, and a and a young guy, real young guy. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, this is an all right match. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't take yeah. a whole lot of notes. There was there was uh, uh, some interesting stuff though. I like the um, the Boston Crab win. Uh, well, uh, uh, Ricky, uh, lands a, uh, big drop kick to keep, uh, bad news from breaking up the hold. Um, yeah. You, and this was also when I noticed that there's like, there is a ton of people ringside. There's only like <laughs> space on one side of the ring to do anything. So it's like the concept of working outside of the ring just isn't, isn't a thing yet at this point. Yeah, there's no room to do it. <laughs> yeah, literally, it's it's all press and uh, ringside judges because we get told that there are ringside judges for the show from the New York oh, Athletic Commission. Yeah, people don't know it's fake yet. <laughs> yeah, so that's part of the uh, that's part of the kayfabe. That's part of selling it as a legitimate athletic contest, right? Right. To where you you foil the government into making you license your wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's kind of i don't know you got to pay for that right so yeah yeah the uh yeah so the new japan guys get the win here in about 10 minutes just a little less than 10 minutes um fairly you know fairly competitive match people do what they're here to do uh crowd is more or less into it i would say i I got excited seeing uh bad news i like that guy yeah i always feel like he's just like just on the precipice of like unspeakable violence yeah he's he's ready to snap at any moment (laughs) it's gonna happen yeah like he's gonna see his shoe untied and just punch your face in (laughs) god damn it kid Um, so we move right along. It's, uh, the beginning of this show is kind of, it's, it's a little unremarkable. It's, it's fine, but it, it picks up as it goes on. Uh, the next one on the card is Mike Graham versus Johnny Rods. Uh, so Mike, of course, is the son of promoter Eddie Graham. Um, he, um, he just, well, he died about 10 years ago, 2012. Meanwhile, Johnny Rodriguez, aka Johnny Rods, uh, he wrestled from like 65 to 85. So he had a good long career and, He's trained wrestlers at the famous Gleason's Gym in Brooklyn. He's trained Taz, Tommy Dreamer, the Dudley Boys. Um, so kind of a kind of a famous guy as a as a trainer. And Rich was saying we think maybe the boar mentioned that he had worked with him a bit. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't yeah. don't quote me on that boar, please don't. I apologize. Well, he can come back and uh, set the record straight if we messed yeah. it up. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's a good idea. <laughs> don't hurt me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Rod's is kind of working heel here. He's, he's working dirty. Uh, Graham looks good. Yeah. He's got, he's got kind of a Magnum TA look to him, you know, with the, the hair the, and the mustache and stuff. Yeah. Uh, half of this match is his Rod stalling at the beginning, refusing uh, to be inspected and demanding more inspection of Mike Graham's equipment. Yeah. Uh, and then once the ref finally goes, okay, I'll check him. Rod's jumps over him and, <laughs> and, and sucker punches Graham apparently, which is Rod's uh big tactic as McMahon informs us of that like, yeah. Oh, I bet you he's trying to get him searched so that he can jump him. And then that's what happens. Well, way to spoil it, Vince. Yeah. What the hell? Also, if you know, he's going to do that, then maybe tell the ref to watch out for that. Right. Right. Maybe inform the ringside judges. <laughs> this dirty tactic's going to happen and that they should suspend his license with the New York Athletic Commission. Yeah, exactly. Bring him up in front of the board or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's uh, Mike Graham gets a figure four and a submission in about five minutes. It's all right. It's an all right match. Yeah. Rods uh, does a lot of biting to get out of, out he of holds. So he does. That's pretty amusing. Mm. Very tasty. Yeah. Yeah, they spent all their marketing money on, on kazoo's and whistles and air horns, and uh, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't get any popcorn for the guys backstage. No, no. So. All right, all right. So here's uh, here's the big attraction, at least for us anyway, and, and that is Hawk Hogan making his Madison Square Garden debut with Classy Freddie Blassie in his corner, going up against uh, you know good old GCW. Um, what's the word stalwart mainstay uh ted dibiase uh who looks like a baby um oh my god he looks like he's 12 how how old is like how he old still is has ted baby here? fat i think yeah ted dibiase is 25 years old at this point wow yeah that's crazy how old do you think uh, hulk hogan is hulk hogan he was always a little older right um i'm gonna say 28 he's 26 oh Okay. But 
uh, Ted DiBiase has been in the business uh, several years longer than Hulk Hogan to where apparently after this match, Hulk Hogan thanks Ted DiBiase for putting him over. Oh, wow. So, uh, so there, so Vince during the introduction slips up and calls him the incredible Hulk Hogan, but they're very deliberately saying the fabulous Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Uh, He is the fabulous Hulk Hogan. They put it up on the screen. Fabulous Hulk Hogan. Um, and that is apparently his name because um, Vince Sr. Uh, wanted him to be an Irishman. And in <laughs> fact, even wanted Hulk Hogan to dye his hair red. Wow. And Hulk says that he was already balding at that point. So dyeing his hair was going to make it, especially with like 1970s hair dye. Yeah, seriously. Probably was just going to like burn his hair off. Uh, so he said, I would just be a blonde Irishman and took the name <laughs> Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Hmm. You know, that that uh, that really famous Irish given name, Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a nutcase. Yeah. Right no, he looks County he Londonderry, looks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your family from there, Hulkster? <laughs> He's a. Uh, Mick Mick Hulkster. He um he looks great. I mean he's he's not as big as uh, he will become. You know physically. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, his those pythons are not the twenty four inch pythons just yet. Like, there may be twenty at this point. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like he found something to help him just get bigger after this. I don't yeah, know what it could have. It's fascinating. I don't know what it could have been. Yeah. It's fascinating. Guess we'll never know. No, probably uh, not. Um, I mean he's acquitted, so yeah, he didn't do it. Uh. He comes out in the gold cape and robe and and looked like Adam Warlock to me from the comics. He looked, <laughs> he looked like Adam Warlock. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and, white boots, uh, white trunks. Yeah. And we should note that since he came out accompanied by Freddie Blassie, that means he is a bad guy. Hulk yeah. Hogan is a heel at this point and gets some serious heat. He... he it, for being there only a month, people hate him. Yeah. Like, it was almost as much booing as the Iron Sheik gets. You know, it was intense. So, uh, I guess you can see where where that charisma, he can turn that charisma evil as, as well as, as good. And so, you can see that it's coming. Yeah, and he uh, he heals it up pretty good during this match. Yeah. He, uh, he gets mad at the ref and just, like, bodily picks the guy up and turns him around the ref is like four feet tall so it's it's not very it's not really fair it's it's Um, the most ridiculously small referee i've ever seen in my life (laughs) especially compared to hogan in the ring there just put him in his pocket hogan is like six foot seven and this referee cannot be taller than five feet yeah like the ropes are taller than him he's very tiny um i don't know this one goes a little long it goes over 11 minutes but i they they work a pretty good match i'd say um and it's interesting you know hogan's hogan's doing very you know his kind of you know typical yeah he he's not working all that differently from when he's a face no, honestly it's it's um, really on like the but the hamming to the crowd is getting booze instead of cheers <clears throat> and like the shaking and looking angry is all getting like the 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 crowd angry at him uh mm-hmm. to the point to where there is an a very audible asshole chant <laughs> and asshole it. scream uh there's also a very audible use of the f word uh the derogatory name for homosexuals uh screamed at him multiple times from the crowd as well 
So, um, and like DiBiase is getting big pops too for the stuff that he's doing. So he's, he's working super baby face and looking and getting great heat. They got some good charisma together in getting that crowd riled up. Hogan gets a, uh, uh, I think he nails him with, was it a backbreaker and like a big bear hug, I think. Yeah. To get the win, something like that. Yeah, because um, DiBiase kicks out of the leg drop. Yeah. So, and it was Crazy. a better combination, in my opinion, that gets him to the leg drop. So Hogan does a really nice uh, vertical suplex on DiBiase and then flips around, bounces off the ropes and drops the big leg. But DiBiase kicks out of that. Impressive. And, and Hogan sold that beautifully and just mm-hmm. I can definitely see out of this match why they're like oh this guy oh this guy <laughs> you know yeah you can hear the cash register noises chinging in Vince's voice as he talks about Hogan you know yeah this is clearly his guy he's yeah he's ready this is and happening it's like he's only been there he's only been wrestling a month basically pretty much at this point he had been in the in florida doing a little bit of stuff but was like yeah this isn't working for me and so him and the future brutus beefcake like work a club and then he decides to go to alabama and i think it was and they went together and were a tag team together as the boulder brothers because remember we watched that one show and uh brutus was on that as eric boulder right 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 terrible name yeah terrible (laughs) yeah no good time good match um it's just it's right in the middle of the card there it's kind of you know it's obviously not the main attraction yet it's but it's also not a curtain jerker yet you know it's a it's yeah it's a uh it's it's up there so and then after that then we start to really roll into the title matches and there are there are a lot of them here um yeah, because um, Hisashi Shinma comes out. Yeah, who was the president uh, of WWF before Jack Tunney. So I was I was blown away by that. I <laughs> did not know that there was a president before Jack Tunney, and mm-hmm. here he is. And apparently, this guy went into the Hall of Fame in 2016, I think. So yeah. well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, wow, I wonder if his stuff is the reason why there's a lot of Japanese stuff on this show. So, yeah. So, uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Shinma is, is still alive and kicking. He's, uh, 88 years old. I guess apparently he was, yeah, he was involved with, um, new Japan for a long, long time. Uh, and he is in the yep. WWF hall of fame. So kind of an important guy. Yeah, I didn't realize that there was a president of the WWF, uh, I mean, kayfabe president of the WWF before Jack Tunney. Uh, yeah. But that was, that's him. Uh, that's so I thought cool. that was uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, so now I'm going to just uh, go down my own rabbit hole here and see uh, see who passed in prison. Oh, that's the World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm like, I've never even heard of some of these people. Um Hold on. Here we go. So there's a W. Oh, yeah. Willie Glisenberg. That's 1963 to 1978. Died while he was still holding that position. And then Hisashi Shinma was after that, 78 to 84. Jack Tunney from 84 to 95. And Gorilla Monsoon from 95 to 97. Um, Roddy Piper was an interim sub for Gorilla Monsoon who was injured. And then after that, we go to the commissioner role, 
So there was Sergeant Slaughter from 97 to 98, Shawn Michaels from 98 to 2000, Mick Foley uh, in 2000, 2001, kind of off and on, Deborah and William Regal, um, 2001. That seems to be... Is that really like the last commissioner? I guess so. Yeah. That's a that's mm-hmm. a figure that's desperately needed on something like uh, AEW. I really yeah, hoped, for sure. I really hoped that when uh, Regal came over, they would put him in some kind of authority role like that. Um, but otherwise, it's just like the kids running the preschool. It's stupid. Anyway. Yeah. I'm now like sucked in with, with Jack Tunney, that Jack Tunney like ran maple leaf wrestling and his father founded it with toots mond and like they're like out i like jack tunney comes off as such not a wrestling person in all his stuff but he's actually like deeply entrenched in professional wrestling history like he worked with uh, crockett promotions for a while and stuff like that and uh yeah anyways yeah sashi shima a very fascinating guy yeah, maybe a topic for another uh, episode. So I do. I mean, I do remember Jack. Tun- I don't remember Shinma, but I do remember Jack Tunney just yeah. being all over the the show. You know, in those years this, that I was watching as a kid, um, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Now you guys are in trouble. Now it's President Tunney's here to lay the smack down. So anyway, all right. Uh, moving along. So the next up is a Texas death match. Good Lord. Uh, for the WWF heavyweight championship, uh, that title is vacant at the moment. So you've got Bob Backlund versus Bobby Duncombe. Duncombe. D-U-N-C-U-M. Not Duncan. Duncombe. Uh, he's alternately billed as Big Bobby Duncombe, Bad Bobby Duncombe, Big Bad Bobby Duncombe. Uh, he is with Lou Albano and Bob Backlund, I forgot to mention, is with Arnold Skyland as his manager. Which the title wasn't of, vacant at this going into this match, right? It wasn't. That's that's. I was just looking at another thing here that says it was vacant. Uh, November 30th, I'm reading here from PDR Wrestling, which does... Uh, kind of reviews of old shows. This is what uh, their author says. He says, uh, November 30th, 1979, Bob Acklin defended the title against Antonio Inoki. The challenger kicked out of the champion's atomic drop and then pinned the champ with a back suplex. Everyone in Japan who watched the match saw Antonio Inoki capture the WF title. Six days later, Bob Backlund was granted a title rematch, and when Tiger Jeet Singh interfered, causing the match to end in a no contest, Inoki decided to vacate the championship. However, no one in the States knew this happened, and the WWF never recognized what happened. Um, So it all sounds like it was fake, and maybe... And I guess the crowd here didn't Mm. think it was vacant, because Backlund definitely comes in as the champion, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I see that on the Wikipedia too. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, I know, right? There's all kinds of rabbit holes on this show. Oh, this show is so freaking weird. <laughs> <laughs> so first, first observation is that like Prime Bob Backlund is an absolute unit. I didn't. Re- <laughs> he's, yeah, I didn't realize he's kind of jacked. Like, yeah, um, he's a legit shooter. Yeah, and uh, boring as hell. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> And like, uh, Paul Heyman is like, Bob Backlund was my favorite growing up. He was so incredible. Like, 
You, really? Paul Heyman, that's yeah. that's the guy that you were drawn to? Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. This is, I, this is really slow. Grinding, a lot of long headlocks, long holds. Uh, you can see Backlund talking into Duncan's head, calling the moves. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, this might as well have just been a normal match. I don't, <laughs> get the need. they didn't do anything that would no. be uh, a Texas deathmatch like. There was no barbed wire. There was no, bl- there was no blood. There was no chairs. There was no outside the ring action. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the most interesting thing to happen is Backlund does this like little monkey flip thing in the corner and he does it once and then he tries it again and gets like kicked off. Yeah. Um, that was kind of fun. Yeah. He wins with a kind of sunset flip thing and then he grabs the mic and yells, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. We're eight days out from Christmas. Bob Backlund single handedly went in the war on Christmas before it even began. Yeah. <laughs> So, as we've kind of done with some other wings, I, I looked up some of these other guys. So, Arnold Skyland, who we've seen before in uh, sort of a manager role, was uh, actually a Marine in World War II. He wrestled under the name Golden Boy in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Yeah. And he held a uh, tag team title with a guy named Spirios Arian. Uh, and then later he managed Bachlin. He also managed Bruno San Martino. And he was an agent for the WWF and the WWF. He's also in the Hall of Fame. He went in in the same class as uh, he went in in '97. Was that? Yeah. And um, so Scotland was was also part owner of the WWF. I think he was part of yeah. the ownership team uh, that Vince put together to buy it from his dad, along with Gorilla Monsoon. Mm. Um, and, um, Scotland also plays heavily in, in the whole saga of between Bob Backlund, Iron Sheik and Hulk Hogan. Hmm. Um, so Backlund, uh, gets locked into the camel clutch in their, in their famous match. Yeah. And Scotland throws in the towel. So Bob Backlund never submits. Uh, Oh, that's him. And okay. so there's there's the the epic argument that Bob Backlund didn't should not have lost the belt because supposedly according to the rules you only lose by pinfall or submission. He did not submit. His coach mm-hmm. quit for him, and so he should not have lost the belt. And that's why uh, Iron Sheik uh, wants to go back at Bob Backlund to prove that he could beat him that he would just give up to the camel clutch. But Backlund was like, no, I can't. I'm hurt. Hogan needs to fight you. <laughs> and so that's the whole story with that. Mm. Now, when Backlund has his uh, re- uh, renaissance in the in the 90s, one of the big storylines that they play up is that Bob Backlund should still be the champion because he never submitted. Oh, right. Yeah, Scotland I remember that. The top, yeah. through, the, through the towel in on him. And so, like, they milk that for years and uh so yeah scotland is is actually really uh an important part of of wwf history and the rise of hulkamania like he's a big part of that yeah fascinating see look at that we learn all kinds of stuff on this show and are you noticing that the managers don't stay ringside during the matches yeah they're not they don't really do anything they just they walk them down 
and then yep. they leave. Yeah. What a job. They're getting yeah, right. paid. <laughs> there is uh there is I should I should have mentioned there's also a really nice uh pile driver from Backland during this one. Mm, yeah. Um that's probably worth the price of admission. Um the other guy I looked up here is Bob Duncan, uh, who is seventy eight and still kicking. Um, he apparently his son Bobby Duncan Jr. wrestled with All Japan, ECW, and he was in the WCW very briefly. He was part of the West Texas Rednecks. Remember that? Oh with, yeah, rap with, is uh, crap. Yeah, with uh, Kurt Hennig and Barry and Kendall Windham. Uh, unfortunately, he died of an accidental drug overdose mm. in two thousand. Just kind of sad. Um, but his dad, Bobby Duncan, Big Bad Bobby, is still uh, still alive and kicking. Yeah. Do so, you know who wrote the rap is crap song? Was it Jimmy Hart? It was. Good job. <laughs> it was Jimmy Hart. That was an educated guess. Yeah. Good job. I don't. I feel like Jimmy Hart doesn't believe that he. No, he does not at all. He was. He he literally has said like, uh, "All you you can you can put any words to anything as long as it's got a good hook," and that's what <laughs> ended up being rap is crap. Yeah. So this next one's kind of a surprise. This one. Uh, this one got me. Uh, Antonio Inoki, who of course is you know super famous as uh, Japanese wrestling and, and the, the business side of wrestling and uh, their you know their biggest star for years and years versus Hussein Arab, who is none other than our good old friend Kazrov, uh, the Iron Sheik. Uh, he's Bubba. Got his, he's Bubba. Bubba. The earth. <laughs> he's got his robe. He's got his pointy uh, curly toed boots. He's got his beautiful mustache. Um, he comes out and grabs a mic immediately and starts yelling about how he doesn't like America or Americans. And the crowd is like hot and trash is flying. And how horrible uh, American wrestlers are. That's really uh, the big thing that he goes after. It's like, you're fighting a Japanese guy. What are you? Yeah. What are you yelling about? (laughs) It's great. But the Sheik is hated so much that the baby face can cheat in the match and people don't. Yeah. Kick his ass. Do whatever you need to do. Whatever. Get, get it done. Uh, so yeah, this is one of those matches where I was like, there's no way this match ever existed. Right. This, this, this doesn't exist. And then we're looking for things to watch. And I'm like, what? Oh, shit. Iron yeah. cheek versus Antonio Noki, both of them at like their prime ages in yeah. Madison square garden. What? We How need to, okay, possible. now we yeah. need to watch this show. This one, yeah. this is locked it in. There's a, a audible Iran sucks chant from the crowd yeah. that even Vince has to acknowledge. <laughs> so, um, there's so, uh, so Hussein, uh, I'm just going to call him the Sheik because we, yeah, we he's Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik. Yeah. He's, he's doing the, the trick where he's loading up the boot, you know, he's kicking the toe yeah. against the, the mat to like, I don't know, pull the bean bags into the toe or whatever so he can use it as a weapon. Um, uh, Inoki, like, has has had enough so he grabs his boot and starts like pulling it off of his uh off of his foot it takes forever he's got to unlace it yeah and, um but the iron sheet gets it back and uh and slams enoki's head into the boot a couple of times manages to get some color on that one yeah um and then when the ref tries to intervene he gets a boot to the head too <laughs> yep Boots for everybody. Sheik just starts attacking everybody after this match. Just like it doesn't matter who you are. I'm amazed that he didn't get to like Vince uh, ringside (laughs) and beat the crap out of him. Like he just goes insane. Well, and he just rolls out of the ring and just goes up the aisle afterwards. Like 
doesn't yeah. doesn't run, just kind of saunters. Yeah, like, he took out like three refs, and then he just casually walks away. <laughs> seriously, you know, the balls on this man. I don't even know who won this match. <laughs> uh, well, um, Sheik got disqualified for okay. whooping on people with the boot. Um, yeah, because initially the Sheik wasn't the ref wasn't disqualifying the Sheik, even though he was literally beating Inoki in the face with his removed boot like a foreign <laughs> object. But and then totally finally, real. finally they got him out. Yeah, no, it's it's great. That's it's the Sheik at the height of his powers. Yeah. The Sheik is 37 and Anoki is 36. This is prime. Oof. They're prime at this point. Yeah. There's uh, there's trash flying throughout this match. Um, it just The crowd just, just doesn't let up on the booing. It's great. Yeah, Sheik proves that it's worse to be Iranian than Japanese at this point. <laughs> at least there wasn't a USA chant. That would have been awkward. Yeah. This crowd is very open to the Japanese wrestlers, which is yeah. impressive and awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, I kind of wondered, you know, how they would be received, whether people would kind of like tune out or, but they're, they're with them. They're, they're there for the show. Yeah. So here's this uh, other kind of oddball thing on the card here. This is Harley Race versus Dusty Rhodes for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship match. It's announced with a one hour time limit, LOL. Please, Um, God, no. Um, and you know, the thing is, if this were an NWA card and that were the actual main event, um, which I mean, I guess it's billed as the main event here, but then there's three matches afterwards that it very well could have been a, an hour thing, but, yeah. um, not, not in this city or in this time period. I don't um, think Harley nor Dusty have the cardio to go an hour <laughs> at this point. It's going to be 45 minutes of them laying down. That's yeah. what that is going to be. Yeah. So I have to ask, is this the title that they took from Dusty in the garden that Cody's always crying about crying about? Uh yeah, probably. I don't think they had this match a lot in I don't think they had it a lot in uh in Madison Square Garden. I don't think Dusty yeah. worked there a lot. Um yeah, cuz I mean, it's got kind of a a, a dirty finish, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a weird finish. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, this is a uh, there's some great things in this match, though. Yeah, they get off to a hot start. There's lots of lots of slugging. Yeah. Uh, there's there's blood. The blood doesn't take very long to start flowing. No. Um, we get gets, Vince McMahon saying, uh, "Dusty Rhodes putting the bad mouth on him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Dusty gets busted open from a falling headbutt. Dust, Harley does that huge falling headbutt off the second rope, which I, I love. Um, and there's he's just selling the blood like crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some good stuff here. What, what did you What did you see? Um, one there was one thing that Dusty Rhodes looked like a freaking peacock strutting around <laughs> with his shoulders back and stuff like that. Like uh-huh. it's fascinating that like the that stuff wasn't taken as effeminate by the crowd yeah. and then that that was just a thing but also like i know he was really over with the black fans at the time that that's like yeah. he owes his career basically he says to to the black fans loving him and him playing up to that kind of stuff so maybe that's that's why it wasn't seen as effeminate because it 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 looks effeminate even today um <laughs> 
there's some drag queen moves in his struts yeah. and stuff like that. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just, it's an interesting little, little piece of the culture. I guess it's kind of like how people never realized Liberace was gay. Like, yeah. how did you not see that coming? Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of his stuff reads as, reads as black, you know, it reads as sort of like, you know, the old term shucking and jiving, you know, that kind of like, yeah. That's sort of like, you know, moving around and like you got the got the rhythm and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I, I mean, there's probably some uh, maybe we can get Mark, uh, Dr. Willett back on here to talk about this or uh, Dr. Jess talk about sort of the, the connections between like drag and black, black culture, black kind of, uh, yeah. you know, mannerisms and speech and that kind of thing. Um, there's probably something to that. But, um, yeah, you're you're totally right. Um, Dusty pulls Harley up for a pile driver. Yes. And then holds him there. Yes. Holds him upside down and yes. turns and faces each of the four <laughs> sides of the ring to the crowd before That's delivering great. the pile driver. Like Rhodes doesn't look like he's that strong of a guy and Harley race is a heavy dude. It's, this is like one of the most impressive physical feats I've seen Dusty Rhodes do and probably almost any wrestler do. Cause it's not like holding them up in the suplex. This is like, he's just holding them vertical between his legs. Yeah. Like, good Lord, good Lord, <laughs> I man. I know that was, that was nuts. And he, um, and he, he does a nice sit down finish to it too. You know, he doesn't botch it after all of that. No. No, he, he finishes it off. And the other thing was, was there were several spots in this match that I felt would have been a disqualification under uh, NWA rules. Hmm. With like uh, Harley Race went over the top rope. Uh, yeah. That, that would have, and it looked like Dusty pretty intentionally threw him. And that could have been, that, that, that should have been a disqualification in NWA rules. Yeah. Uh, he hits the ring post at one point that would have been a violation of NWA rules too. just kind of, kind of weird stuff, you know, like that. But that's, that's, that's the, that's the sport, right? So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there are really, if those NWA rules existed yet, but I felt like those are rules were really old. And so I don't know. Um, yeah. Did Harley, Harley didn't do the headbutt off the top rope. Right. No, it was off the second no. rope. Yeah, so that that's cool. Um, that extra foot, that's disqualification, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> Dusty does his uh, his hawking up, you know, which so Hawkster uh, in in what was it? It was the biography, the most recent biography of of Dusty on A and E. They had Hogan on talking about how he stole a lot of his stuff from Dusty Rhodes. Um, yeah. I mean, Hawk will always say that about whoever he's talking about, but like the whole, um, you know, shaking and the and shaking up and the, yeah, and not, yeah, no selling, shake, no selling, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's yeah. that's a, a clear rip off there. Um, so yeah, and this has a weird finish, as we mentioned. That um, so Dusty is bleeding moderately. It's we've seen far worse. Yeah. Uh, but the ref calls the match because of blood. But like yeah. Dusty is kind of then acting blind after the match gets stopped. It's kind of weird. Like he's fine. Then the ref stops it. And then Dusty is like swinging blindly to try and punch Harley race. And that's when a beautiful bullshit chant starts out of Madison square garden. And, uh, and then Harley hits uh, Dusty with the belt and uh, for 
just because he's an asshole, I guess, and uh, <laughs> rolls out. Yeah, it's uh, the crowd is not having it. Um, so it's clear. Uh, Dusty kind of falls like through the ropes and then falls to the floor, and then that's the point where the ref's like, "All right, that's enough of that." <laughs> yeah, and calls it. So um, he he's he's selling it like crazy, though. I mean, this is like you said. This is on a scale from one to five. This is like Dusty maybe bleeding at like a two. Um, yeah, for him. So like he would have he could have like driven to the pharmacy like with this much blood but all of a sudden he can't see and he's falling out of the ring it's okay yeah okay yeah come on, man so, yeah mm-hmm. anyway yeah so harley uh harley retains dusty gets sent home with uh get some more stitches to that purple nightmare of a forehead he's got uh we move on to the wwf intercontinental championship between pat patterson and dominic danucci um, Pat Patterson looks like a golden god. He's uh, he is beautiful. He is beautiful. He's built from San Francisco. Um, that's your just, hint. That's your hint. Yeah. Tanucci <laughs> um, is uh, sort of nondescript, and that and it said before we started recording that's the most Italian name I could think of. Yeah, pretty uh, without, much. Without verging into parody or, or uh, anti-Italian uh, sentiment. Um, he actually just died in 2021 at the age of 89. Mm. He was um, born in Italy, but he made his pro wrestling debut in Montreal in 1958. And he wrestled all over the damn place in the 60s and 70s. And then after that went into training, he trained Mick Foley, Brian Hildebrand, Shane Douglas. Um, so they're here to they're here to get the uh, get the IC belt. I don't know. This was kind of boring. Yeah, it was kind of kind of a blah match, but this was um, one of Pat Patterson's first defenses of the Intercontinental, the new Intercontinental Championship. Hmm. So he's the first Intercontinental Champion, um, and the way he became Intercontinental Champion was that he beat Ted DiBiase uh, to win the WWF North American Heavyweight Championship. And then he defeated Johnny Rods in the final of a fictional tournament in Rio de Janeiro (laughs) to unify the North American Championship and the South American Championship into the Intercontinental Championship. So that's Mm. how the Intercontinental Championship gets its name. So uh, that belt, that Intercontinental belt, beautiful. Yeah. It It is mirror shiny, like incredible... Uh, it is a beautiful title. Uh, it was more pretty than the match. Um, but, um, yeah, there, there's this match was a brawl, basically. The finish comes out of nowhere. Uh, my favorite moment of this match was uh, Danucci arm drags Pat Patterson, and then as Pat pops up, he slaps him across the face. <laughs> like, I love that little move. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Um and then Dom keeps threatening to punch uh, Pat below the belt, but doesn't. It's just kind of a weird thing that keeps happening in this match. Uh, and then Pat flips Dom into a pin for the win, and that's it. And he hustles out of there. So, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty short, pretty uneventful. Uh, yeah. Most most interesting parts were seeing that belt and seeing Pat Patterson. Yeah, like I said I just I just looked up a little bit about. Um, him so he had wrestled in uh, San Francisco right before not right before but um, he was a big time wrestling 1965 to 1977 mm-hmm. and then he came out to the 
East Coast um, not too long after that, and he made his debut in a WWF in 79. So um, so I guess you could kind of say you could build him from San Francisco, um, but not really. They He's build still themselves Canadian. from wherever they want to, you know. Well, that's true. Um, so uh, we'll play the age game here. How old do you think Pat Patterson is in this match? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, no cheating. What is this? This is 79. 79. I'm going to say he's 40. Close. He's 38. Yeah. Okay. Now, Dominic DiNucci? He, that dude looks old. I don't know. Um, well, let's see. I Okay, I'm not going to do the math. Um, 58, 70. I'm going to say he's also 40. He's 47. Jesus. Yeah. He, he is, looks older for sure. He is the oldest guy on the card by a year. Huh. Uh, and, well, I mean, I guess he's tied with Dick Dick Brower, but yeah. Hmm. So yeah, this was this was <laughs> a. Uh, I would have rather seen like Pat fight almost anybody else on this card. I would I would have liked to see Pat versus Ted DiBiase. That would have been hot. Yeah, that would have been a good one. So we got another uh, another Japanese superstar here. It's Tatsumi Dragon Fujinami uh, versus Johnny Rivera for the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship. Um, Fujinami, by the way, is still kicking at 69. He trained yep. with uh, Antonio Inoki and Carl Gotch. He was a six-time IWGP Heavyweight Champion in New Japan. Uh, I couldn't find much on Rivera except that he was Invader number three. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's uh, there's lots of technical stuff going on in this match. Like yeah, this is early cruiserweight kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it's really interesting actually. There's like lots of holes. There's even some like things that look like you know shooting takedowns and stuffing takedowns. It's the most um, legit looking wrestling match on this whole card. Yeah. What did you uh, What did you see? I it, it, they were moving so fast. It was really hard to 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 get stuff but there was real it was really impressive stuff it looked like a match from like mid 90s wcw cruiserweights like mm-hmm. uh jushin thunder liger it should be like like kind of stuff like it's a fascinating uh great looking stuff not a lot of high flying there was no real high flying but it was all just like legit shooting stuff, it looked like almost. Yeah. Um, and they yeah, shook hands like, with each other, yeah. and it was a very fascinating little thing to watch. Yeah, they they uh, break out of holds and then like pause and shake hands like a couple times like during the match, yeah. <laughs> not just at the beginning or at the end. Yeah, there's like head and scissors, crowd, head scissors, and, and the crowd would clap for them too during yeah. at, at the breaks of those things, like a modern day wrestling show. Like it was weird, yeah. weird. It was like a time warp. <laughs> Um, yeah, these guys are good. I mean, you can tell that, uh, that Fujinami is like really good. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I'd be curious to see who, who else, you know, he worked with in the U S. Um, cause if he's, if he would work with somebody like, um, dynamite kid or, you know, one of those guys, I'd be very interested to find that. So maybe, maybe look around a little bit. Yeah. The thing uh, keeps promising us an all-star match. And I'm like, was that it? But no, that was not. <laughs> And um, it's another interesting thing that we we didn't really point out the last time we watched one of these old old school shows, but it's very apparent that there's no promos 
Like, yeah, at all. How are the, the, these wrestlers have to do, have to get all of their charisma shown physically in the ring. It's very fascinating. Like the only way you can get over is in the ring. There's no like talking to the crowd or anything like that happening. Yeah. The only time anybody, well, um, when Bob Backlund, which is just a Merry Christmas, and when Iron Sheik grabs the mic and yells about how America sucks, like that's pretty that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole show. Yeah. Um yeah, it's interesting. Also no women's matches here, so that's no. also of note. Um the Fabulous Moolah is still technically the women's champion at this point. Hmm. She reigned for twenty eight years before the <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, let's see who wins. Oh yeah, Fujinami gets the win, right? There's some sort of. It's a real yeah. quick pin. I I don't. It's even a know. German suplex bridge. Oh lord. Yeah, like Im- super impressive, beautiful move. I like this 1979 crowd in Madison Square Garden had never seen anything like that. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a highlight. It's a, it was a kind of you know wasn't kind of came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting. Um, so that's a good one. All right, last match on the card. Um, this is the WWF World Tag Team Championship. So on the one side, you've got Ivan Putski, the Polish Hammer, and you've got or the Polish Power, excuse me, and you've got Tito Santana with him, and uh, they are the champions. They're going up against Swede Hansen and Victor Rivera. Um, so Swede Hansen and was a super popular tag team with a guy named Rip Hawk. Rip Hawk. They had uh, yeah. the belts off and on for a long time. Um, Victor Rivera also was apparently a huge tag team draw and had a number of partners over the years. Uh, I just I don't know if there were ever two better good guys than Ivan and Tito. Like those two guys are just no, they're perfect. they're so so likable. They're just such such faces you know i don't you know tito never turned heel i'm i'm guessing ivan pusky never turned heel either i'd imagine not no yeah i also like the how opposite they look so pusky is kind of short and all muscle and tito's kind of long and lean and you know very athletic um sweet sweet hansen has like a blue andre singlet on <laughs> uh and appears I to thought have he like, was larry zonka <laughs> like he looked like that that football player Larry Zonka to me for some reason. I thought he kind of yes. looked like um, J- Jaws from James Bond. Yes, mm, like, yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, he has almost no muscle tone except for in his arms. No. That's that's, yeah. that's the only thing I noticed. He does have uh, a denim jacket with a huge Confederate battle flag on it, though. Uh, Where why? Uh, why? Yeah. I mean, at least it's getting heat in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So like, people that ooh. say that that symbol. Didn't people didn't hate that symbol until now? You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. (laughs) People have found that symbol offensive for a while. Yeah, I thought he, I thought Swede looked like Larry Zonka, and I thought Ivan Putski looked like a pug dog to me for some reason in this match. (laughs) He just, you've said that before. Yeah, they're all over the place, bouncing around. I don't, well, I was a little disappointed because, um, you know, when, when Gorilla Monsoon calls an Ivan Putsky match, we get a lot of background about Putsky's love of garlic and onions and yeah. how much he loves garlic and onions and how you can smell him coming from, you know, three rooms away. Uh, and you also get commentary on how much he loves to sing opera and how you always know when Ivan Putsky's around because he's singing opera at the top of his lungs. We didn't get any of that here. I don't know. And I don't how feel he like likes Vince. to drink yeah. and how he used to be fat and then lost yeah. weight. Like, 
real monsoon. Where are you pulling this information from on Ivan Putsky? I have a very hard time believing that Ivan Putsky was ever, ever fat, fat. <laughs> yeah. I heard, I heard one time he did like only 40 reps instead of 50. Yeah. Uh, and it's workout. That's lazy, lazy. Yeah. Uh, it's, this is, you know, this is what you miss when you got Vince on the mic instead of, uh, instead of gorilla. And there's no one else with him. It's very yeah. dry. It's very dry. Yeah. So um, Pusky gets beat up for a real long time. He finally gets a tag, hot tag to Tito. Uh, he nails uh, Swede with the Polish hammer in the chest. Tito comes off the, the ropes with the crossbody to get the pin. And then it is lights out. Good night, folks. Thanks for coming. That's the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, that was that finish, though, was very reminiscent of like later tag teams having like an actual yeah. finishing combo move kind of thing. Yep. Um, and you can tell that like Vince Sr. is calling the shots because the tag team championship is is the big draw at the end of the night and being and being hyped up the entire night by the announcer and not the heavyweight championship. So tag team wrestling still matters. Yeah, that's a I thought that was a pretty good tag team. I like those two guys together. Yeah, um, Sweet Hanson and Victor Rivera. Like, eh, I'm not entirely sure why they were together, no. uh, but it gave them something to do for the night. Right. So, got Tito a paycheck. Putsky got some, got some money to afford more garlic and onions. Uh, he's still kicking too, by the way, Ivan Putsky. I, I kind of yeah. would like to meet that guy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I he's would definitely pay for his autograph at a show yeah. if he was there. He's probably like still in better shape than me. I guarantee it. Guaranteed. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I I would get him to sign like a garlic bulb or something like that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I wonder if he if he ever. Uh, I wish he would have released a an opera album. That would be a collectible. Yeah, too bad he's not on the the wrestling the album. Yeah, that's a grab them cakes. <laughs> Ivan Putsky sings "O Solo Mio." Uh, well, so um, did you have a favorite match from this one? Hmm. You know, I really felt the Ted DiBiase versus Hulk Hogan match. You like that one? Yeah, I think that was that was the most entertaining of the matches as yeah. it had a good balance of like of audience work plus uh in ring work and stuff like that. I it it was like a flash of the future almost kind of like like mm. this is this is this is what's coming kind of thing. But the roles are going to be reversed where Ted DiBiase is the bad guy and Hogan's the good guy. It's coming. Just got to wait for <laughs> five more years for it. Five more years. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I that match, that match was okay. It, it was, you know, it didn't do a whole lot for me. It had probably the most um, sort of classic kind of you know wrestling match feel to it. I mean, that's probably my favorite. I think the uh, Dragon Fujinami one mm. was pretty good too. That would that would be a close contender. Um, least favorite for me was probably the Pat Patterson match. That was the least entertaining. I think the Bob Backlund versus Bob Duncombe <laughs> was was the most boring match for me. I yeah. I always find Bob Backlund boring and no personality. And then uh, for them to have a Texas death match and there's no need to be they, like they could have just been like eh, don't don't bother don't call it that because we're not going <laughs> to do any of that shit. Don't worry. Um, that would have been that would have been fine with me. That's yeah yeah that had a few. Um, decent moments in it i like that pile driver i like the monkey flips i like the uh, bob wishing us merry christmas 
Um, so Happy I, I New Year, and I love all of you. <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, any other uh, final thoughts on this one before we do the in memoriam section? This is just a fascinating little case study. Like, just like pinch it out of time and look at it and like, what in the world is going on with WWF? Like, it's crazy. Like, they're, they're working with Japan. They got Hulk Hogan coming in, you know, young. We got Bob Backlund. We got Iron Cheek and Antonio Inoki. Like, yeah. we have, and then suddenly out of nowhere, you have Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes. Like, the WWF is putting on a hell of a show in Madison Square Garden here. And this isn't like any kind of special event. This is just whatever they're doing in their territory right now. And it's, 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 uh, way out of, what any anybody else is doing it looks like you know like yeah i don't think you're seeing a card this diverse in in the south any of the southern territories you know so i don't know it's just a, a weird little little thing to look at like it's very modern in a way even yeah. though it's still um a very classic presented uh wrestling match and wrestling card that it's um yeah i I, I am very happy that we watched this. It's a very fascinating thing to see WWF without uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon in charge. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's sort of it's all over the place in the the feel and like you said, the presentation and the talent and the types of matches that you get here. Um, I don't know that like so. What if I was watching this in 1979, trying to you know put myself in that uh, frame of mind? You know, I I don't know. I definitely feel like, well, this is kind of unusual, uh, but I also don't know that I feel like this is going to be the next big thing. You know, this company is is about to blow it out of the water because um, I think it's still a little fuzzy yet, right? Like, right. There's there's clearly energy here. There's people that want to be involved. Like the NWA doesn't just like, oh yeah, we'll send you our two champions, you know, to have a match. Like, there's. There's, they recognize that there's something going on here, and same thing with the partnership with Japan. Um, but at the same time, you're not. It's not. It's not a guarantee at all at this point. Um, there's a lot of ways that this could go south. Yeah, you know, so. TV is still like New York is is the biggest television market at this point. You know, yeah. and so they're on the Madison Square Garden Network because that's what this was: WWF Championship Wrestling on MSG. But they're they're looking for syndication deals at this point too, even though uh, Papa Papa McMahon does not want to branch out of the territory because you know look at the, look at the talent that he drew in all over the world in yeah. this, without having to be like on the hook of being his talent like yeah it's it's a it's an interesting thing and at this point being in the NWA they. Uh, the NWA champion does have to come time to time to to the territory, to each territory to defend the belt. But normally that would have been like Harley Race versus Bob Backlund, right. not Harley Race versus Dusty Rhodes. Like what is, why is Dusty coming up there? What's going on? Um, but who the hell wants to see Harley Race versus Bob Backlund? <laughs> not me. That's I have no interest in watching that. Yeah. Um, so it's a very, very fascinating show. I don't, it's, it's hard to describe why, but it's, there's all these different weird elements of like 
wrestlers from Japan, wrestlers from the mm-hmm. West Coast, and wrestlers from the South, plus the the New York mainstay folks here yeah. too. But like you don't quite have a lot of them here. Like Ted DiBiase is mainly out of the was out of the South and just new to WWF at this point. Hogan is out of the South and new to WWF. Bob Backlund and uh, Ivan Putzky really are the only two on this card that are like established WWF guys. Yeah. So that's a good point about kind of being able to bring in like individuals as opposed to having to have, you know, whole roster with all these guys, right? Like, and you, you can pick and choose the best, uh, the best of the crop, you know, and the guys that get over, you bring them back again and you do something else with them. The guys that don't, yep. See you later. Um, no need to book it. Would you, do you feel like this card is like what they would call hot shotting? Like this is where they, you like stack a card with a whole shit ton of, of big names. Like to me, it is and it isn't right. Like there are enough big names on here where you could be like, Oh man, like I would definitely go to see that match and that match and that match. But then farther down the card, it's not quite the same depth. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I don't know if I would call it hot shotting just because like, we're looking at it from our modern day lens where we know what Ted DiBiase, Hulk Hogan, Iron Sheik, uh, um, Tito Santana all become. We, you know, Tito is 26 at this, yeah. at this show. He's, he's, he's brand new. Larry Zabisco is brand new to the business too. Basically Ted DiBiase and Hulk Hogan are both super young, not really fully established yet. You know, it's, the, like I said, the only, and then like Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes aren't really established in New York City. Yeah, that's true. You know, so it's, um, yeah, I guess Dominic DiNucci is, uh, Pat Patterson's new to the WWF at this point. Um, I guarantee that like New York City hasn't seen, the New York wrestling scene hasn't seen a lot of these New Japan guys. Yeah. So, they might have heard of Antonio Noki because they might read the read the magazines, you know. So, uh, you know, it's it's tough to say. Yeah. Iron Sheik was was just up from the south too at this point too. So it's it from a modern take at it, it looks like they hot shot at this card. But at the same time, a lot of these guys aren't fully established in this market yet. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, thanks for finding this one. <laughs> yeah, this was a fun uh, show. I like yeah, this one. That's good stuff. Uh, so we encourage you to take a look at it and uh, so, you know, tell us what you think. You can shoot us an email at all the WrestleManias at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter for a little while yet at, at WrestleMania Pod. Of course, all the WrestleManias.com. You can find us on various podcast apps. Leave us reviews. Um, you can find us on socials. Leave us comments there. We love to hear from our uh, love to hear from our listeners. So. So we'll wrap up by, um, like we always do, just take a little moment to pay tribute to the men and women, well, just men this time, that we've seen in the show who are no longer with us. So we're in memoriam section for the old school episode, uh, season eight, episode one from Madison Square Garden, December 17th, 1979, includes ring announcer Howard Finkel, Dick the Bulldog Brower, Bad News Allen, Jimmy Lee Banks, a.k.a. Jojo Andrews, Mike Graham, Freddie Blassie, Captain Lou Albano, Arnold Scotland, Antonio Inoki, 
Hussein Arab, aka the Iron Sheik, Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, Pat Patterson, Dominic Danucci, and Swede Hansen. So that's all for this episode. We appreciate you listening to us, and we will uh, catch you on the next one. So for now, I'm Tim. And I'm Rich. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs>